for us. What a blessing that is this morning. One of my favorite songs by my favorite person. You know, I know you're not supposed to play favorites, but that's my favorite person right there. Thankful for that this morning. Let's take our Bibles. Turn to the New Testament, Acts chapter 13 today. <clears throat> Acts chapter number 13. Glad to have all of you with us today. I know we have some folks visiting with us here for the graduates. Hope you've been made to feel welcome and uh, look forward to what God has for us today. The Lord knew who all would be here and has prepared what we need. He's prepared what I need and my heart is open and ready. And I pray your heart is open and ready this morning for what God has for us. Acts chapter 13. If you're there this morning, let's stand together and honor the reading of God's word. We're going to pick up uh, on Paul's first missionary journey this morning in what many call Paul's first sermon uh, something quite wonderful happens here that is very applicable for all of our lives today. Acts chapter 13, and we're going to pick up in verse 42 and verse 43 and look at the end of the sermon. We're going to see the reaction to what the Apostle Paul had to say. By the way, I think you always ought to react to what uh, the Word of God has to say. Uh, the Holy Spirit of God will take it and he'll speak with you. And thanks be to God, that's sometimes in spite of the messenger. Doesn't matter how good or how bad the preacher may be, the Holy Spirit is going to make sure that you hear what he wants you to hear, but then it's up to us to respond to that. And we're going to see in verse 42 and verse 43 how some of the people in Acts chapter 13 responded to one of Paul's first sermons. The Bible says, and when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Now, verse 43 will be our main text this morning. But let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we unravel it a little bit today. Father, thank you for the privilege to be here today. It's always a privilege to be in your house, Lord, but thank you for the added privilege once again, Lord, to be able to honor some folks for, Lord, your goodness and your grace and how you've worked in their life. Now, Father, as we come to the preaching, I pray you'd help us to open your word and receive it, Lord. Just be pleasing to you in all that we do today. If there's one here today who isn't sure that heaven's their home, I pray, Father, you'd make that clear to them. Uh, and Lord, I pray they'd come down and respond to the message and be saved. For those of us that are saved, Lord, help us not leave here the same. Help us leave here changed today by how we respond and react to your word. For it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Yesterday, we had a, a little bit of a walkthrough of the baccalaureate service this morning. Uh, I know by getting it mixed up, you wondered if we walked through it, but yes, indeed, we walked through it a little bit yesterday and had an opportunity to sit and speak with our graduates just for a few minutes and congratulate them on how the Lord has blessed them to be able to get to the fulfillment of something they've been working at so hard. And the Bible's very clear, Proverbs 13, the Bible says, the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. And what a blessing it is to get to the end of something you've been working very hard for. And I told them something yesterday that was on my heart, and I'll repeat it to you this morning to help get the context of the message. Our graduates, whether it is our young people on Wednesday night or our, our high school graduates here this morning and tonight, and then our college graduates, uh, the milestone they reached is just that. I told them yesterday it's a milestone and not a gravestone. Okay, a milestone is something there are many of. A gravestone, well, that's the end, okay? You only get one of, as far as I know, you only get one of those. But thanks be to God that through his grace and through his power, he allows us to have many milestones in our life. 
And whether it's our kids or our high schoolers or our college students, I pray they'll look at this milestone that God has brought them to, and then they'll begin looking forward to the next milestone of what God has in store for them in their life. I know it's easy right now to think, gosh, I am never, ever going to work that hard again. It was hard to get through to 12th grade, amen, Avery, or maybe through that college degree and going through COVID and all of the shutdowns or, or for our kindergartners or maybe even our kindergarten teachers who had to work to get the kids through to that graduation. You're thinking, man, I hope I am done with all of that. And it's easy to have the temptation to slide into complacency. I don't know about you, but I have that temptation greatly in my DNA, Uh, My DNA is not necessarily, hey, let's conquer the next mountain. I live in a flesh body that likes to be at ease. And being at ease and desiring comfort in our life, sometimes that really is a slippery slope that leads us to spiritual complacency. So for all of our graduates here this morning, I want to encourage you, let this be a milestone, one of many, where you're looking forward to what the next milestone God has for your life. Think about the children of Israel. Now, this is for all of us today. Think about the children of Israel. Uh, They had a great milestone where God brought them out of Egypt, but that milestone became a tombstone because they got complacent and they were excited about coming out, but they weren't as excited about getting into the promised land and they missed out on it. Why? They quit looking forward to the next milestone of what God had prepared for them. I can't help but think about David today. You think about him. Boy, David started off, he killed a lion. Now, if I had killed a lion with my bare hands, you would have never heard the end of it. He'd be mounted in my office. And that's all. I probably would have my own T-shirts and bumper stickers made. I killed a lion with my bare hands. I mean, that would be milestone enough for me. I mean, I killed a lion with my bare hands. But no, David moved on from the lion, and then he went and killed a bear. And then after he killed the bear, he moved on and he killed a giant. He just kept having milestone after milestone after milestone in his life. He had victories in his life, and he went from one victory to the next. By the way, that's the way we should live our Christian life. Thanks be to God, his grace is sufficient that we can live a victorious Christian life. One of the first books I remember sitting on our coffee table as a kid was by Dr. Lee Robertson, and it was on the keys to a victorious life. Through the grace of God and the victories of Christ, he passes along that victory to us, and the Christian life should be nothing less than a victorious life, to where we move on from milestone to milestone to milestone of victories in our life. I believe that's God's plan for us. I remember when I was uh, about fourth grade, third or fourth grade, I couldn't wait to get five feet tall. And had a mark there on my door casing. I, I had the mark. You know, you go up and you back up to it and you stand up as straight as you can. Maybe put on some cowboy boots to stretch a little bit. And you just can't wait to hit that milestone. And man, I was so excited. I forget when it was, third or fourth grade. You hit five feet tall. But you know, I didn't go, well, I'm good now. I'm good. No, I wanted to go to six foot. All right? I'm like, we're going to mark six foot and you eat your vegetables, your broccoli, your Brussels sprouts, try to do the best you can to grow as high as you can. And then I hit six foot. Uh, And then I quit growing up and I started growing out. Now, I don't have a mark on the doorpost for that. I don't want to see how big it is. But you reach one milestone and you want to reach another milestone. And I believe that should be the way it is in our Christian life. We should be looking for the next milestone. What is it that God has for me and my growth process as a child of God? But oftentimes we slip off into complacency. 
Rather than look forward to what God has for us next, we get satisfied by what we have now. And here's what I want you to get this morning as we jump into this. Who you become for God and what you do for God is going to come down to how you answer one simple question. And that's the question of more or less. More or less. Someone told me something one time that's proven to be very true. There is no neutral. There is no neutral in the Christian life. You're either going to choose to be more and to do more and to have more when it comes to the will of God, or you're going to be satisfied and complacent to live with less. Do you know why you're saved here this morning if you're saved and on your way to heaven? You're saved here because the Holy Spirit of God knocked on your heart's door. And you decided, you know what, I want to find out what that's all about. I want to hear more. I remember the Holy Spirit dealing with my heart about being saved. And I wasn't sure what, he, what all was going on. I was just in turmoil in there. And I said, you know what? I want to know more. I want to know more. And through pursuing more, I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I don't have to die and go to hell. Why? Because I wanted to know more, not be satisfied to live with less. If you're married here this morning, can I tell you how you got married in a roundabout way? I don't need to tell all of your story, but I know about how you got married. You decided to know more about someone. You saw her or you saw him, and you thought they were at least halfway attractive. Looks aren't everything, but looks are something. Amen. All you husbands, a hearty amen. I'm helping you out right there. Amen. That's exactly right. Looks or something. And you saw them and they saw you and you said, hey, I want to know more. I remember, boy, I saw Leslie and my dad says, boy, what do you think about Leslie? I said, boy, I, I think she's a good looking girl. I mean, look, I didn't get to know her that well. I just had to, you know, judge the book by its cover and the cover was good enough to find out what was on the pages. I went and I began talking to her. I said, hey, I've enjoyed getting to know you this week, but I'd like to get to know you more. And I got to know her more, and I went and talked to her dad, and one thing led to another, and, and now she is my wife. Why? I wanted to know more. Now, this morning, I wonder what's waiting for you and I if we decide, you know what? I would rather know more and have more than be satisfied with less. This morning, look, look at, at Acts chapter 13. I want to show you something. You're going to see a group of people who didn't slip off into spiritual complacency. The Bible says in verse 43, now when this, the congregation was broke up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Here were some people who did not find their spiritual tombstone. They found milestones. They kept moving forward. Can I tell you, I believe complacency is wiping out just as many Christians as immorality. We're thinking, man, all these folks getting off into drugs and alcohol and all of these things is just ruining the Christian home. I believe Christian complacency is wiping out just as many of us by being satisfied and just mundane in our spiritual walk by not finding those milestones, and we have a tombstone on our Christian life. I heard a story once of a demon meeting, all right, not a deacon meeting, big difference, at least in our church demon meeting and a deacon meeting, and Satan was getting together trying to figure out how he could submarine Christians. I've got to take out the church. How do I submarine Christians? The one little demon raised his hand. He says, you need to teach them there's no God. 
Teach them there's no God. And, and the devil looks at him, he says, you dummy. He says, look, there's too many evidences around creation, as the Bible says in Romans. You can look around and tell there's an intelligent design that put all of this together. They're never going to believe no God. The other demon raised his hand, and he says, maybe we should teach them there's no hell. You know, if we teach them there's no hell, then people won't want to get saved. He says, no, even inside a lost human being, we know that wrongs must be atoned for. They're not going to go for that. The third demon raised his hand. He says, maybe we should just teach them there's no hurry. There's no hurry. And can I tell you, that lie straight from hell has submarine more Christian families, more churches, more Christian testimonies, than the lie of no God and no hell, that there's no hurry. This morning, I believe all of us have got to come to the place where we answer the question more or less in our Christian life, and that's the message today. The question of more or less, and we're going to follow these people in verse 43 and, and see how they found more in the will of God for their life. Now, notice what happens. The Bible says, now, when the congregation was broken up, all right? So that means the service is over, in essence, and they're getting ready to go their own ways, and it's what they did after that would determine who they would become. Now, stop right there real quickly. I want to give you a free point, okay? This is not one of the points. This is a free one. It's not necessarily what you do in the service and how you act in the service that, become, that determines who you become and what you do for God. It's what you do after the service is broken up. You know, we put a whole lot of stock in how we look and how we act in this building, and we can all at least keep it together. That way we're not embarrassing ourselves in front of the rest of the church. But what really matters in the direction for your life and who you become for the cause of Christ, it's going to be determined by those first few lines of verse 43. Now, when the congregation was broken up, do you want to know who you really are? It's who you are after the service breaks up. Okay, it's not who we look like this morning. You some good looking folks. Okay, we got good looking members. We got sharp looking visitors here this morning. Thanks be to God. We all look good. It makes it easier for me to preach to nicer looking people than ugly people. I've preached to ugly people before. Man, that's just tough on my eyes. But who you are is who you are after the service breaks up. That's who you really are. Now watch closely what they did. Verse 43, now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes, that's converts, followed Paul and Barnabas. Now here's what happened. They had heard the truth. Watch what they did with the truth. Rather than just leave the truth behind, they followed up on it. Now, this is very important this morning. What are they showing us? They're showing us if they wanted to know more, number one this morning, they had to pursue more. If you want to know more and be more and have more in the will of God for your life, at some point, you've got to decide you're going to pursue after it. Now, thanks be to God, verse 43, the Bible says that many of them Many of them, I hate to tell you, that is the exception to the rule. It's too often we sit in our church buildings and we hear the word of God preached and rather many deciding to follow up on the truth they've heard, many of us decide that was good enough for us. I don't need to follow up on it. Now I'm going to tell you, the reason God worked in their lives is because they weren't satisfied to sit and hear, they desired to know more and therefore they followed up on it. Let me ask you this morning, all of us go to the doctor. The older I get, the more I go to the doctor. It's weird how that works. 
And I'll go to the doctor for my checkup. I went for my insurance checkup the other day. So humiliating. I get there and the lady says, I got to draw your blood. I hate giving blood. I just don't think it's natural to lose blood, okay? And so she says, we need to take your blood. Have you eaten breakfast? I said, I had two bites of an Egg McMuffin that Walker Grubb fixed for me at the McDonald's in Collins. You want somebody to do you a great job making a McMuffin? Go to the Collins McDonald's. Walker will fix you up. I had two bites. She says, well, I'm afraid you may pass out. I said, well, I don't want to pass out. That's embarrassing. My wife and daughter are sitting there. No joke. She made me lay down on the floor in the insurance office to draw my blood. I, I didn't pass out. Thank the Lord for that. We go to the doctor and we get all these tests run. And then the doctor says, hey, I found something interesting that we need to follow up on. How many of us are going to go, oh, doc, don't worry about it. You know, I know you saw a spot. I know you saw a mass. I know something came back elevated on that test, but you know what? It's probably just an anomaly. No, listen, we are living in the United States of America, hyperchondriacs of America. That's who we are. And we go to the doctor every chance we get, and we follow up, and we follow up, and we follow up. Why? Simply put, we don't want to die. Right? At least I don't. Some of you, I'm not sure about the way you're looking at me. I don't. And so I follow up on the matters of interest because I want to continue to live. And yet how often through the preaching, the teaching, and the reading of the word of God does God show us points of interest in our life? And God says this is a matter of interest, or it should be. It should be. Look, you should never walk out of those doors without the Holy Spirit of God showing you a matter of interest in your life. Hey, here is something you need to do. Here is something you need to not do. Or here is something that we need to do better. All right? I'm thankful that my father loves me enough not to leave me alone. He wants me to grow. My father wants me to reach the next milestone. Just as an earthly dad, I want my daughter to reach milestones. I want to, my father wants me to reach milestones. And yet the Holy Spirit shows us something. And you know what we don't do? We don't do what they did in verse 43. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. I'm afraid to tell you this, but in matters of faith, too many of us miss our follow-up appointments. Doctor, why is my family terminally ill? Why is my teenager terminally ill? Why is our nation terminally ill? Can I tell you why? When God showed us matters of interest, we didn't have a follow-up appointment. No, no, God, I, you know, it's okay. God, it's just the times we're living in. That's what it is. God, it's just the world we're living in. Kids are going to act that way. You know, everybody, you know, every marriage has problems, and they do. But after a while, that little problem that could have been fixed through the power of the victory that we have through Christ, we let it metastasize. And it destroys our home and our children. And now we see our country. Folks, we've got to get to the place to where God's word matters enough to us that we follow up on it. And that we pursue the more that God says we can have. Do you know why Jonah got in so much trouble? We're fixing to boil it down on, on, on the bottom shelf, okay? The reason Jonah had so much trouble in his life, he missed his follow-up appointment. Think about it. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, The word of the Lord came into Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. He says, Hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. God says, Hey, here's something I want you to work on. Hey, take off. Jonah says, You know, it's not that big a deal. 
I, can, I don't have to follow up on that. And then trouble after trouble after trouble. Could it be this morning that a lot of us go through troubles and trials in our marriages and with our children because we're missing our follow-up? God makes something known to us through his word. That's how he spoke to Jonah. And God points something, something out to us. He says, hey, focus on that. And we're like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. And we miss those follow-up appointments, and it cost us our families. Do you know why there's a rich man in hell this morning? Simply put, he missed his follow-up appointment. You say, how do you know? There's not a soul in hell this morning. The Holy Spirit of God did not draw. There's not a one. There's not a one. He says, I will draw all, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. He promised us that. And so there's not a soul in hell this morning whose heart was not knocked upon by the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And yet, you know why the rich man's there? He didn't follow up. God knocked, and he didn't follow up. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Someone knocks on your door. Amazon knocked on my door this morning, Brother Nate. I didn't know Amazon ran on Sundays like that. They actually rang my ring doorbell. Aren't those fun? You know? And you get to see them there knocking on the door, throwing your package up against the wall, you know? Good luck with whatever that was supposed to be, graduation gift for some kid, and now it's all broken, you know? Somebody knocks on your door, what do you do? You respond. You know what that means? I want to know more. I heard this noise. I heard this doom, doom, doom on my door. You know what? I'm going to follow up with that. There may be something at my door. And lo and behold, there's the Amazon man with something for my wife always. I take it in the house and give it to her. And I get what I was looking for or what she was looking for because I follow it up on it. Now, how often is the Holy Spirit of God, by the way, far better than the Amazon man, the Holy Spirit of God comes to our heart's door, knocks on our door, and we don't follow up on it. Oh, you're missing out on something. Man, they deliver our food in boxes now. It's amazing. Steak, you know, chicken, they deliver it in this box. It's got these ice blocks in it. My wife takes it out. She cooks it up real good. Look, I look for that guy to knock on the door. I'm waiting on that guy to knock on the door. Why? Because I know in that box is some good food. What a shame it would be for that man to knock on my door and I just let all of that go to waste. No more of a shame, I tell you, than the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart and saying, hey, there's, there's something I want you to know. There's truth here, and yet we don't follow up on it. Imagine how the stories would be different if Moses didn't follow up at the burning bush. Moses comes along, got these sheep, looks over there. Hmm, there's a bush on fire. Huh, that's neat. All right, back to work. Now, we're smiling because we're thinking, no way on earth. You know, look, we live in the South. We're in the circle of the conspiracy theory central. You know, UFOs, Bigfoots, all of that. I got friends with Bigfoot t-shirts. They believe it. You know, the Black Panther saw one at the zoo the other day, so they're really out there. I know they are. Man, we, we want to know all about these secrets of all this other stuff going on in the world. If you saw a burning bush, you'd turn aside in a heartbeat. I knew it. It's aliens. They're real. I told you. Look, this bush is on fire. It'd be on Facebook, and it'd be going viral. You wouldn't pass it up. Why? Because God's trying to get your attention. And Moses turned aside to see the burning bush. But how sad. Moses could have missed out on the will of God for his life if he had not decided, you know what? I want to know more about this burning bush. I'm going to follow up on this burning bush. We could go through all kinds of examples this morning. Samuel. Samuel laying there in bed and God begins to speak to him. How different would Samuel's story be if he hadn't have followed up when God spoke? 
And then here's the question. How different is your story going to be this morning? Because you didn't follow up on what God was leading you to do. How different is your eternity going to be? Because you didn't follow up on the Holy Spirit of God, drew you to him for salvation. And then after you get saved, the will of God for your life. Look, sooner or later, if you want more milestones in your Christian walk, you got to pursue them. Look what they did. Verse 43. The Bible says they followed Paul and Barnabas. That's why 2 Peter 1.5, the Bible says, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now, did you notice that word in there, the word diligence? That means you're going to have to work at it. And you start looking at all of those things you add, virtue, patience. Patience comes so easy, doesn't it? It's just patience is so easy to learn. I mean, gosh, it's like falling off a log. It's easier than riding a bicycle. (laughs) Not at all. You have to be diligent to pursue patience. And I'm going to tell you, patience can run fast. That means you've got to run faster to catch it. Give all diligence, add to your faith. Don't just stop with your salvation. Don't let your salvation be a tombstone. Let it be the first milestone in your walk with God and then pursue the other milestones, all of those virtues that God said you can have in your life. Yes, you can be a patient person. I think I'll have to wait till my glorified body to get it, but one day I am going to be a patient person. Don't listen this morning. Don't be complacent. Find that next milestone. Pursue that next milestone. Heard of a principal one time that had a couple of students come up to him and says, look, everybody else has a club here on campus. They says, we want a club. You know, you have the the, the community people who clean up the community. Then you have the football players. They have their club. We want a club. He says, okay, well, what kind of a club do you want to have? Uh, He says, clubs usually have a goal. They have an aim, you know, a mission of what they want to do. They said, we won't want to do anything. We just want a club. He says, what are you going to call it, the apathy club? They said, sure, that will work for us. He says, are you serious? They says, yes, we just want a club that we can be a part of. We just don't want to do anything. He says, okay, the apathy club will meet in room 101 from 3 to 4 every Tuesday. The principal wanted to know how this thing was going to work out, so he walked down to room 101 at 3 o'clock on Tuesday, and he went in, and there's only two people sitting at the table. He says, guys, where's everybody at? He says, nobody cared enough to show up. Hence the apathy club. The principal told them this. He said, that's the problem with apathy. You have interest, but no effort. You have interest, but no effort. Now, folks, I believe a lot of the church today in America, we are members of the apathy club. We have interest in the will of God. We want to be a part of something, but we don't put forth any effort to pursue what could be done through us if we just pursued what God could do through us. Folks, we've got to get to the place where we decide, I want another milestone. I'm thankful to be saved. I'm thankful to be on my way to heaven. But I want to find out what else God has for me before he calls me home. So number one this morning, they had to pursue more. But notice the second thing. Look at verse 43. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them. Persuaded them. Now, if you look close, you'll see where their motivation came from. The Bible says they were persuaded. The Bible also calls them proselytes. You know what that means? It means the way they are thinking now is not the way they were always thinking A proselyte means a convert, someone who did not believe that way, and yet now they have converted to believe that way. How did they get there? Well, verse 43 says they were people that were persuaded. Now, this is important. In order to be willing to pursue more, number two, they had to be persuaded of more. 
In order to pursue more in your Christian life, you have to be persuaded of more. I'm going to tell you this morning, you're going to find it difficult to pursue that which you're not persuaded of. You're not going to pursue after something that you are not persuaded of. These people were not members of the apathy club. They weren't just interested. They were willing to put forth the effort. Why? They were persuaded. Their minds had been changed. Now, here's the problem this morning. The reason most of us will answer the question of more or less, we will answer it less, is because we've yet to be persuaded of what more God has for us. We're content. We're okay with where we're at. We have our fire insurance, and our salvation becomes a tombstone rather than our first milestone. Years ago, back in the 1960s, Time Magazine, their subscriptions were dipping very low. And so they decided to use this new technology of automation. They had these mass mail-outs. They were going to mail out to people all over the country, hoping they would sign up for Time Magazine. Well, as always, with computers, there was a glitch. And a rancher in Wyoming received 12,634 of the advertisements to subscribe to Time Magazine. 12,634. The mailman comes to his door with his bag and puts it down in front. And he looks at all of these letters. He's thinking he's become a movie star. He opens it up. It's a subscription ad for Time Magazine. He opens up another one, subscription ad, Time Magazine. He opened up a couple of dozen, and finally he was so tired of it, he sat down and wrote out a $6 check for a subscription to Time Magazine. Inside with his check, he included these words on a note, I give up. They had persuaded him. 12,634 letters came to his mail. And finally, he's like, okay, okay, okay. I will sign up. You see, he acted after what? He was persuaded. Could that be why we're not acting today? Is that why we don't act when the Holy Spirit of God burdens our heart during the invitation time? Could that be why we're not moving forward in our walk with God? We've yet to be persuaded. Because I assure you, if God persuades you, you're persuaded. When he persuaded me I was lost, oh, how I could not wait to get saved. And yet this morning, the reason we don't have more, I believe we're not persuaded yet, and I don't understand that. What else does God need to do? What else does God need to do to persuade us to find that next milestone in our Christian walk with him? A few weeks ago, I preached on Agrippa. What a sad story. What was Agrippa's problem? Think about this. What was Agrippa's problem? He said, almost thou, what, persuadest me. He says, almost thou persuadest me. Why was Agrippa not persuaded when Paul preached the message of salvation for him? Why? Here's what's interesting. You look up the word persuade, here's what it means. It kind of threw me off, to be honest with you, and then I saw what it was saying. The word persuade means open and spacious. You ever have a, a, a pretext in your mind of what something means? And then you look it up and it don't mean what you thought it mean. I think that's not what I was looking for. Open and spacious. It sounds like we're talking about a floor plan, right? We're not talking about the definition of the word persuaded. Open and spacious. And then the light bulb began to flicker. Thanks, thanks be to God for his grace. Every once in a while that light bulb comes on. The reason Agrippa was not persuaded is his heart was not open. His heart was not open. Do you know why we're not pursuing what's more in our Christian life? you know why we're not? We're not persuaded yet. And do you know why we're not persuaded? Our hearts are not open. 
and spacious to the will of God. I mean, if Paul himself stood up here and preached this morning, many of us would walk out of those doors just as complacent as we were when we came. Do you know why? Because we came with a closed heart and we leave with a closed heart. If we're going to be persuaded this morning, we've got to be willing to open our heart and let it be spacious to the will of God. By the way, when God spoke to Samuel laying there in his bed, what did Samuel say? 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Do you know what Samuel's saying? Lord, my heart is open and spacious. God, I want to know what you got to say. I want to know what you're trying to do in my life. He says, so God, my heart is open and spacious. A lot of us say, well, my heart is open. Yeah, I mean, it's open about that big. I mean, the Lord's going to have to force it through there with a plunger just to get his truth inside of there. We're not really open. And yet, what could God do with us today? What milestones could we reach? What more could we have if our hearts were just open? I wonder what God could do with our teenagers. I love our teenagers. That's the future of our church. One day, you're going to be the old people. Some of you are going to be bald-headed, and I can't wait. Because you crack jokes about my head. Out there yesterday playing the cabbage ball game with the dads, which we won resoundingly. Guy's picking on my head because it's getting sunburned because there's a little thin spot up there. I'm thinking about getting one of those Jew things where you put it on top of your head to cover up that spot that's there. I love these young people. But I'll tell you, these young people will slide into the same hole of complacency that so many of us are if they don't learn to open their heart. That God, I don't know what you have for me today in church. We don't have a great preacher. But Holy Spirit, if you could give me something, I'm going to open up my heart, open and spacious, for you to persuade me of what you desire to do in my life. I promise you the Holy Spirit can work in spite of your preacher if you just open up your heart to whatever it is he wants. God, if it's Africa, all the ogles are about to go. Philippines, different places around the world. Do you know why God's using them? Because their heart was open and spacious. They says, God, whatever it is you want, whatever change in my life you want to bring, you go ahead. And oh, how God's using them is going to use them. And oh, how God could use us if we were just willing to be what? Persuaded. Okay. Okay, God, I'm going to open it up, and you just do what you want in that heart this morning. I'm going to let you persuade me. By the way, that's what Paul did when Saul, fiction to be Paul, is laying there on the, on the ground on the Damascus Road. What did he say? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You know what he's saying? Okay, you're about to change my life. I'm about to go with someone from power and prestige to someone who's persecuted. But I'm open to that if that's what your will is for my life. And how many people are in heaven today because Paul's heart was open and spacious to the will of God for his life? There's people this morning that you need to reach that you're not going to reach until you open up your heart to the will of God for your life. You've got to be willing to be persuaded. There should be nothing this morning you hold back from God. Nothing. If God, Listen, if God wanted to change where you live and what you do, if God wanted to flip it all of your world up on its end, you should be open and spacious to that. Why? Because God knows best. Think about it this morning. Who do we think knows more about our life and what God wants to do? Us or the one who gave it to us? Obviously, it's God. But we've got to be open to it. Sometimes we treat God like a telemarketer, don't we? When we were younger and more immature, or I must say I, okay, I. My wife didn't do this, but I did. 
When I was younger and more immature and Miley was a baby, telemarketers would call. I would give the phone to Miley. Just let your kid talk to him. It's, it's one of the most fun things you can do for, for entertainment when you live out in the woods, okay? You know, don't, it's just kind of a simple life. Just give them the phone and let them burble. <laughs> they get a taste of their own medicine. Something feels good about that. It's probably sinful because it feels so good that you want to get them back for bugging you, I mean, about your car warranty. So I don't even have a car, I have a bicycle, but they just want to get, get with you about that, you know? And that's how we treat God sometimes. You know, they've got this neat little thing on my phone now where it'll ring, it'll be a number I don't understand. It says potential spam. Potential spam. And I don't even answer it. I just ignore it. That's how we treat the Holy Spirit. We look down on the caller ID of our heart and it says Holy Spirit. And we're like, don't answer it. That's how you do when I come to see you when you get out of church. Don't answer it. Don't answer the door. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you in there. I hear you running around. in there. I know you're in there. You know, we, we, we ignore the Holy Spirit that way. But these people, what did the Bible say they did? The Bible says they were persuaded. The reason we're not able to find more in our homes, our Christian lives, is because our hearts are not open to be persuaded of God's will for our life, and we just ignore him. Several years ago, I was in Los Angeles, and I had never been down Hollywood Boulevard. I wanted to see it once in my life, and so me and Leslie went down there. We're walking down Hollywood Boulevard. We wanted to see Grumman's Chinese Theater. And so we walk down there. In front of the theater, there's all of these people in costumes wanting to get a picture with you. You know, Superman and, and all these characters. They want to get pictures with you. And Spider-Man starts walking toward me. All right, first off, I knew it wasn't the real Spider-Man because he was four feet tall. <laughs> what good is a four-foot Spider-Man? No offense if you're four-foot here this morning, but I'm just being honest with you. Maybe superheroing is not that your job calling, Okay. This Spider-Man is walking toward me four feet tall. I'm like, that's not the real one. I would know the real one if you were to walk in. But I was like, that's not the real one. And so I just keep walking. No eye contact. By the way, that's how you get those people to go away. No eye contact. Pretend they're invisible. You do not see them. And just keep on walking. My wife is so much of a Christian. She's like, well, I don't want to be rude. I'm like, no, I don't want to be here for an hour. You know, by the way, you take a picture with them, they're going to charge you for it. Just throwing that out there. Learn that the hard way too. And so I just pretended like I didn't see him and just kept on walking. Do you know what I was telling him? Not interested, not open. Do you know how you tell God you're not interested? Close your heart. Close your heart. Not interested. Not interested. God was going to use these people because they were persuaded. The only way you can be persuaded is your heart is open and spacious. And God goes inside of there and does a work that only God could do. And then God uses you through that. And yet when you come in here, God peers down from heaven. He looks inside every heart and he can tell if you're all clammed up. Unfortunately, in my sin nature, for the ogle, I hate to admit stuff behind the pulpit, but I feel like i got to be honest up here. You know, I can't, can't lie up here. We can lie in the parking lot, but not up here. Well, sometimes my wife and I will get on the outs. You know, the 30th time to tell me to take out the garbage, that's enough. That's my line there. And after a while, I just don't want to talk to her. Just quite, I'll, and I'll be cordial, but I just clam up. And she can spot it. She can, she's done it a couple times in our marriage, but most of the time it's me. And she can tell when I'm not wanting to talk. She can tell when I'm not interested in having that close relationship. I wonder if God can tell. If she can tell, and I can tell when she's angry, 
and not willing to talk. I wonder if God can tell, you better believe it. So I wonder why God's using that guy over there. I'm more talented than that guy is. Why is God using him? A simple, simple, ready? Here it comes. His heart was open and spacious and yours was closed. God had a plan. God had a will. God had power. God had grace. And all of a sudden, this guy says, God, it's open and spacious. Fill it up. And God filled it up. And now God's using this guy who doesn't have half the talent you have, all because he was yielded to the will of God for his life. You see, he was able to be what? Persuaded. Let me read you a verse real quick. Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27 and verse 28. Listen to what the Bible says once again after Paul speaks. Well, let me read verse 24. Acts 27, just a few pages to your right. The Bible says in verse 24, and some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. Do you know what that means? Some chose more. Some chose less. Do you know what's going to happen here in just a few minutes? And I do mean that, a few. Do you know what's going to happen? Verse 24. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. But then we get down to verse number 28. The Bible says, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and they that will hear it. Notice that. They that will hear it. But if you go back up one more time, verse 27, it says, For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and be converted. The last part of that verse says, And I should heal them. I wonder how many times God wanted to bring healing to your life, but your ears were plugged. Your heart was closed and your eyes were shut tight. No, no, I'm not going to let you change my mind. And therefore, your Christian life ends with a tombstone that stops right there rather than the milestone of God working in your life. So number two, in order to have more, they had to be persuaded of more. They were willing to be open to that. And finally, we go back to verse 43. I'll give you the last point. The Bible says, When the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, watch this, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Now, after everything was broken up, why did these people find more? Number one, they pursued it. They said, we want to know more. Man, what we heard was great, but I want to know more. And so they followed, they pursued. Why did they pursue? Because they were persuaded. Their hearts were open. And then finally, the last part of this verse, the Bible says they were persuaded. They persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Now, you got to get this before we're done today. Notice their faith wasn't a box that they checked and they moved on from. Okay? This is how often it is in our Christian life. We're like, okay, God, I did what you told me to do. Now give me the blessing. We're just going through the motions because we want something from God. That was not the case because the Bible says, you got to see these last few words. They continued in the grace of God. What does that mean? It means they lived in what they learned. They didn't move on from it. They lived in what they learned. That word in is very, very important. That's why number three, finding God's more requires persistence. Number three, they had to persist in more. They had to persist in more. Now, 
Folks, how many times in our life is our faith more of a phase? You think about that. It's a phase. Uh Uh-oh, mama's sick. We better go get right with God. Money's tight. We better go get right with God. And then when mom gets better and money gets a little bit better, all of a sudden we move away from God. It was a phase we went through. Now listen, if we're going to have more Christian milestones in our life and we're going to find what God does through our life, we have to decide if faith is just a phase we're going through or something we're going to live in, all right? The Bible says they continued in the grace of God. They didn't move on from it. And oftentimes on a church service, as soon as it's broken up, you know what we do? Rather than move in with our faith, we move on from our faith. It's got to be a lifestyle. You say, well, how do you know that? Give an example in the parable of the talents real quickly. What did the Bible say? The Bible says, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many. All right? Here's the principle we're getting here. It's what you do with what you have that decides what you will have in the future. He had just a few things, and yet he didn't move on from them. He used what he had, and what he had was blessed to have more. Now, folks, our faith is not something we move on from. It's something we move on with, and we live in it to the glory of God. And yet this morning, how many times do we not persist in our faith? What did Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14? But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He says, continue in the things. Continue in the things. Do you know church is not just something you do? It's not just something on our calendar on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. The church is who we are. Say, all right, I got to go check that box. It's Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, check that box. Now I get to go be who I really am. Oh, no, I'm afraid that kind of a faith is nothing more than a phase. Faith is something that we live in. Grace is something that we live in and we move on with. We've got to persist in it. 1 Timothy 4, 6, he said, take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine, continue in them, in them. We don't leave them on the pew. It's amazing. After Sunday morning service, Miss Autumn, boy, she does a great job keeping our church clean. On Monday, she'll come through and clean everything, vacuum everything. Don't stick your gum on the bottom of the chair, all right? You come through and you find up folded bulletins, people drawing pictures, making grocery lists. Yeah, I found it. If you're going to go through the trouble to make the list, take it with you, okay? (laughs) And you look and you see all the things that were left, Bibles left behind, kids left behind, you know. I found a dog biscuit the other day. I'm not kidding. I did find a dog biscuit in here. We live all kind of things behind. And yet the most valuable thing we leave behind is the truth that God gave us. We don't go and live in it. We leave it behind. And that's why we don't find more. It's not a lifestyle. It's just a phase that we're going through. Too often we move on from our faith rather than move on in our faith And we miss out on what? What's the message about today? It's simple. We miss out on more. More. If your faith is not something you live in, can I tell you what's going to happen? If it's not who you are, then when you get out there in the world, you're going to adopt and adapt to who they are. That's why you better know who you are. That's why it better be something you're living in and is living in you. It's got to be part of your character, not part of your costume. I think I've told you before the story of a good friend of mine. Uh, he was a major league baseball pitcher. He pitched for the Colorado Rockies. Mike Dejan was his name. Mike says after he retired, he went to coach Little League. I probably told you this story, but man, it's a great story. And they had the draft that day, and all these players are coming up, and 
Next thing you know, he gets this kid who's like two and a half feet tall, three feet maybe on his team. He said, I knew I was in trouble when the kid walks up and he says, when do we get our costumes? That kid probably couldn't hit the ball off the tee. He was just excited about getting the costume. He wasn't a ball player. He was just going to dress up like one. And that's how we do oftentimes with our faith. It's not who we are. It's just who we're pretending to be. You say, well, are you calling me a fake? No, I'm not. But when you see so many who are living less of a Christian life than more of a Christian life, you just can't help but wonder, is it just a show? Is it just a show? What do they do? I'll give this and we're done. Verse 43, he persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. It's got to be who you are, not who you're pretending to be. I love the story of Job. I hope I'll never go through anything like Job went through. But in Job 23, Job's trying to find his way. What's going on? Which way do I go? What do I do? He says, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He didn't abandon his faith. He lived in it. He lived in it. We get to Job chapter 42, the end of the story, verse 25. Job says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee. What did Job find living in his faith? He found more of God than he ever thought he could. He said, now I see you. I see you more than I've ever seen you before. But he only found it living in his faith. You don't go through what Job went through with just a costume on. You're going to abandon ship. You're going to have a mutiny against God. You're going to quit and you're going to go home. You've got to persist in your faith to find more. Now, folks, we're fixing to answer a question. You're fixing to answer a question, not out loud. You're going to answer it in your heart. The question is more or less. More or less. Are you going to find more of what God has for you and more of who God wants you to be and more for your home and more for your children and more of your testimony? Are you going to find more or are you going to settle with less? Remember, there's no neutral. You're going to choose more or less and it's all going to be determined by this simple question. More or less, are you going to pursue it? All right, God, you've done something in my heart. I'm going to follow up on that right now. Are you willing to be persuaded? Okay, God, whatever it is, my heart's open. I'm willing to be persuaded. And then maybe this morning you're pursuing, you've been persuaded, but man, it's tough. Can I give you some encouragement? Just keep persisting. Keep persisting in your faith. Why? Because there's so much more. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Let's stand. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Here's the question. More or less? More or less? Is God doing